Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Our text in John chapter 13 will be verses 1 through 5. As we have finished John chapter 12, Jesus' public ministry is now finished. No longer does he speak publicly uh, throughout the rest of this gospel. Now it is more of that inner conversation between our Lord and his disciples. He is going to express to them a number of wonderful truths that we read of, not only in chapter 13, but in chapters 14 through 16, and especially being able to see that that inner Trinitarian relationship being uh, demonstrated for us in chapter 17 with Jesus's high priestly prayer. This is an amazing part of John's gospel, one that uh, we've been really looking forward to getting into. And you see here in chapter 13, uh, the beginning of that, you see how Jesus is going to express his, his love to his disciples, his, his great love to his disciples, in view of what is getting ready to take place. Now, a lot of times, and I'm sure that we can all uh, you know, vouch for this, a lot of times when we have someone, a loved one, whether a friend or someone in our family who is getting ready to pass away, our natural inclination is to go to that person and to be able to try to comfort them as they are getting ready to leave this world that you're trying to comfort them of, of the glories of heaven and the things that are, are getting ready to take place. And it's usually them being on the receiving end. I remember when, when my brother was, was getting ready to pass away and those conversations that I had with him too of just trying to, to, to lift up his countenance by the truths that were contained in God's word about all that, that heaven would be like and, and, and seeing Christ, uh, the one who, who had saved us and... and who had given us such grace. I remember though having those conversations with him, some of our family that has recently passed away, being at their bedside and hearing their family doing the same thing to them. It seems to be how we usually you know, operate when things like that are taking place. We seek to comfort the one who's getting ready to pass. Jesus doesn't do that in our text. Jesus is actually going to do the complete opposite. In view of everything that is getting ready to occur, in view of the cross, in view of the receiving the wrath of his father, of satisfying his justice, of all of that, our Lord is going to give those comforting words to his disciples. These are the things that are on his mind and on his heart in view of his, of his completed work. It's them. And he's going to demonstrate such a love for us. Within just these first five verses, we'll go over this morning. But in it, we see the kind of love in which God loves us. He loves us with that unconditional love, with that agape love, that that selfless, sacrificial love. We have a tendency to only love those who love us. To only show love to those who show love to us. Especially when it comes to any that are our enemies. We We don't like to show any love to them. And so we do the very thing that Jesus said not to do. The Gentiles love only those that love themselves. But you're to love even your enemies. 
You see that in this passage. You see the expression of God's love that he has. Uh, And it's demonstrated towards his disciples. And one thing to notice as we get into this is that that kind of love that Christ is expressing and that kind, that act of kindness that Christ is getting ready to perform is done while Judas is in their midst, while he's still there, even in view of everything that he's getting ready to do. Our Lord still expressed his love and this great act of kindness, uh, even to Judas, which really helps us to, to understand much more how we ought to be when it comes to loving others, of, of being sacrificial to others, of being kind to others, even in view of their failures, in view of, of their betrayals, in view of them being outright enemies of the cross, of how we ought to love with that, that kind of selfless love. This isn't really uh, having anything to do necessarily, it does with Christ, but just to say this in passing, when it comes to loving your enemies, it's not as if you're going to feel like doing this. That's not what I'm saying. Because when it comes to people, especially who are enemies of the cross, you're not going to feel like doing it. Obviously. But the kind of a love that Christ has shown to us, that Christ has introduced us to, the kind of love that we see even by our Lord generally to all people, and that beneficent kind of a love and that benevolent kind of love that he has, is there's an act of God's goodwill even towards the unbelieving. That there's a kindness of God in how he performs things for the, even the unbelieving. And that kind of love uh, we also ought to express. This really gives us this picture into the very heart of our Lord Jesus and, and the privilege that we have of receiving this kind of love from him. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We'll read verses 1 to 5. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. And let us hear the words of the living God. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from from God, And was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, how we have come to honor you this day. We've come to worship you in spirit and in truth that Christ would be magnified in our hearts, that your name would be made great among us. And we thank you for this portion of your word, which gives us this even greater understanding of the love that we have received from you through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, I pray that you would illuminate this passage in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would learn from it, that we would grow, and that we would walk before you in a manner that is pleasing to you, to honor you in all that we say and do. 
Bless the preaching of your word and may it accomplish all you desire in us. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. From the other gospels, we gather that he had told his disciples to gather everything that was needed in order to prepare the meal, the Passover meal. They had obviously found them a place to to have this meal together in the upper room, as it's known. This is a very interesting scene. We, we, we get a lot of information, of course, from the other gospel writers. John doesn't go into as much as, as far as what the disciples were doing at the time that, that they're having this supper. But here's really the scene. This is, of course, the, the Passover time. It's the time in which, you know, Jesus himself is going to give his life. His hour had come. It is near. And he desires to eat the Passover with his disciples. And that's what he says in the other Gospels. I have desired to have this supper with you. So at this supper, as they are probably all leaning on their their left shoulders and their feet are pointed outward. They're sitting around and they're talking. The Gospel of Luke records for us that they're talking about who's the greatest. That's what their conversation is. Who's the greatest among us? That's where their focus was. And this wasn't even the first time that they'd had this conversation. That's, that's where their, their hearts were. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Maybe Peter's like, well, it has to be me. You know, maybe you have, you know, you have Thomas over here. Or you, have, you have John over here. Maybe they're all just bantering back and forth. Well, well, you weren't at the transfiguration. We was at the transfiguration. So you guys are excluded. You're not going to be the greatest in the kingdom. This is, this is where their hearts are at. This is where their minds are at. They had entered into this room in order to have the Passover meal. To fellowship with one another. To observe the law. Uh, to observe the time of the Passover. Reflecting upon it. All of these things. And all of these things, of course, pointing to Christ. No one was willing to... Take the time to wash one another's feet as they had entered into. This was a menial task for a slave. Even some would say that it wasn't even permitted for Jewish slaves to do. It was only permitted for Gentile slaves to do. And so they're unwilling to do it. No one's there, uh, perhaps a Gentile slave to do it. They're beneath that. Or they're, they're, excuse me, they're above that. That is beneath them to wash someone else's feet. Because they're discussing among themselves who's the greatest. If they're discussing among themselves who's the greatest in the kingdom, that means everybody else is going to be beneath them. Maybe somebody else needs to come in and start washing their feet. Now, in view of this kind of a conversation, in view of them going back and forth on who's the greatest, John is telling us, that Jesus had known that his hour had come. This is before they, they had the feast of the Passover. Perhaps earlier in the day. Maybe a day before. In recent days. He, know, he knew that his hour had come. He was getting ready to depart out of this world. And he was going back to the Father. And it says. Having loved his own. Who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Now there's a few ways that we can take this. We can take this in the sense of he loved them to the end, meaning that he loved them to the utmost. 
as much as love could be expressed. He loved them with that kind of a perfection, that kind of a perfect love. Or it could mean as well that he loved them to the end of his life. In the end in which he had given his last breath, he loved them all the way up to that point. Uh, he gave his all, all the love that he had. He loved them with that perfect love that only God can give, even in view of where their hearts were at in the moments in which they were spending with him. You know what that is showing us? Well, actually, it's shown us one of the greatest acts of love. Of course, not just uh, not as, as great as the, the cross in which he demonstrates the, the greatest aspect of love. But it does show us a kind of love that that should give us some encouragement. That should give us some comfort because he's loving them even in view of their arrogance. Even in view of their pride. He's loving them. To the utmost, even, even as they are going back and forth discussing who's the greatest. And their hearts are being lifted up with pride. He loved them even in those times. Loved them to the end. Loved them to the utmost. Loved them with perfection. Now, we have a tendency, and one of the difficulties that we have is loving people who are very arrogant. Because automatically our minds go, you're, you're really not as much as what you think you are. And then we think to ourselves, well, I ain't doing anything for you. If I do something for you, you're going to think that I owe it to you. We have so many different things that go through our minds when we encounter arrogant people. But what does Christ do? He loves them to the utmost. He loves them in view of their arrogance, in view of their misunderstandings. He loves them in view of their failures. Because in a few short while, a few short hours, these same men are going to be the ones who scatter. One in particular is going to be one who is going to deny him three times. Him having all of this knowledge of everything that's getting ready to happen. And in view of the failure in which they are getting ready to, to that is getting ready to occur. He loves them to the utmost. What an expression of love that that is. To love people even in view of their failures. To love people in view of, the, of their pride and of their arrogance. The, the amazing thing is it's... it's this saying that goes along with that, not only does he love them to the end and he loves them to the utmost, he loves them with that perfect love. But they are his own. That's how they are described. He loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. They are his possession and he delights in them. That's the amazing thing. That even in view of their failures and in view of their arrogance and in view of their pride and in view of their misunderstandings about who they are in regards to the kingdom and all of that. They are his possession. They belong to him because they have been given to him by the father. That's what he says in his high priestly prayer. I pray for those whom you have given me for they were yours and you gave them to me. They are the gift that the Father has given to the Son. 
and he delights in them as a result of that. They are his love gift. And one passage of scripture that is is uh, very amazing. Um, it's in Titus chapter one. <clears throat> in Titus chapter one, the apostle Paul says this, verse one. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. But at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Now, verse two right there is very interesting. Paul is going over his. His ministry, that his ministry is for those who were chosen of God to to give them the truth, which is according to godliness, to give them the hope of eternal life, which is in Christ and all of that. But he adds that in there in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. And it means that he promised this before times eternal is the idea. Now, what is he referring to here? Before times eternal, God had made a promise that he was going to keep this promise. And this promise had to do with bringing those into the family of God. For the faith of those who were chosen of God. To give them a hope of eternal life. All of that. Before times eternal a promise was made. Well here's the amazing thing. Was that before times eternal and eternity passed. No one was there. There was no one. There were no angelic hosts there. God hadn't even made the first speck of dirt yet. But he made a promise, and his promise was that these particular ones were going to be brought into the family of God, and it will be for the glory of Christ. So when you're looking at that, that God had made a promise, it was, as many theologians would say, that the Father had made a promise to the Son. And that the Father had made this promise to the Son that, that I will give you a bride. And the Father is the one who chooses the bride. When you go to Ephesians 1, that's what it is. That's what it's implying is that the Father is the one who is chosen. And He has written their name in the Lamb's book of life is what Revelation 13 says. Everyone whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. And it's if the Father has, has, has the Lamb's book of life and He writes down all the names of those that He has given to the Son. And He gives it to the Son as a love gift. This is your bride. And as a result of being gifted this by the Father, that those who the Father has given to him, that he delights in and he loves to the utmost because they are a gift from his Father. So when you go to the scripture here and Jesus is saying this, that he, he loves them to the end and he loves them with, to the utmost and they are his, they belong to him. That he is delighting in them, in them, even in view of their weaknesses and in view of their sin. Because he is going to perfect them by his his work that he is getting ready to accomplish, and therefore he delights in them. They are his own. They belong to him. The Apostle Paul would say, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. You weren't purchased with with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of a lamb, spotless, as what Peter says. He loved his own with a special kind of love. A love that is not given to everyone. 
R.C. Sproul talks about the three kinds of love of God. The benevolent love and the beneficent love and the love of complacency. The benevolent love and the beneficent love is, the, is the, the God's goodwill that he has towards all people. And the acts of kindness that God gives, even to the unbelieving, we call that God's common grace. He allows it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. He makes the sun to rise on the, the just and the unjust. He allows the wicked to prosper. He allows them to have families. He allows them to have joy in this life and all of that. That's God's common grace. That's God's act of kindness towards all people. But when it comes to those that are His, there is a special kind of love that we receive. A special kind of love that they received. Which is that love of complacency. Not to be confused with the idea of complacency today, but it's that special covenant love. The Old Testament always used the word loving kindness or that has said love. That covenant loyal love that God only has for his own. That special intimate love that God has for his own. And that is the kind of love that they received and the kind of love that you and I receive in the Son. It's an amazing thought to consider the kind of love that we're talking about here. Because you think of some of the things that Jesus says in John chapter 17. That you loved me before the foundation of the world. That perfect love that existed among the, the communion of the Trinity. That perfect love, perfect communion, perfect relationship. All of that. That kind of perfection. That love is now extended to you and me. He loves Christ with that perfect love. And because we are in the Son, the same love that the Father has for the Son is the same love that the Father has for you now. Because you are in the Son. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. This special covenant love that God has for His own. That Christ has for His own. They belong to Him. They've been gifted to Him. He is getting ready to pay their sin debt. And he delights in them. You think of some of those passages in, in the book of Hebrews, for example. That he, he despises the shame of the cross. But for the joy set before him, he endures it. The joy of glorifying his father or completing his work and the joy of purchasing his bride. A love that would endure such shame, such humiliation for the joy of what the final result would be. It's an amazing thing to contemplate the love of God. I think one of the greatest examples that we have of the love of God that we're talking about is found in Hosea. When you get to Hosea chapter 3, Hosea chapter 3 is where the Lord commands Hosea to go, go buy your wife. So the idea is, is that after she has gone out with her lovers and all of that, she has found herself now as a slave on the auction block. And when they would auction off the slaves, they would strip them down bare, set them up so that everybody could see, and then begin to bid. And so Hosea... Walks through the crowd, obviously, that they would know him to go purchase his wife. The kind of shame and humiliation that he must have felt as he wades through all of the people and then begins to call out numbers for his, his own wife must have been very humiliating. 
But he buys his wife and he clothes her and he says, now you're mine and I'm going to be to you a husband. You're going to be to me a wife. And he rekindled that love that he had for her. And in the same way, in, in a few short hours of Christ having these, these conversations with his disciples, he's, he's going to endure such humiliation and shame on account of his bride to express his love for his bride. And this isn't, you know, please don't misunderstand. This isn't just to say that we ought to love everybody with the kind of love in which the world gives today. This isn't to, to express that love has, has no truth or has no content. Because people say that often today. We just need to love and we need to love and we need to love. Well, love is, is grounded in truth. Love has a foundation. And the foundation of that love is God himself. You can't know true love unless you know the love of God. He loves his own in a special way. And he loves them to the utmost. Which is an amazing thought. To, to The kind of love that God gives us is to the umpteenth degree anyway. But that kind of divine love loves to the utmost for those that are his. It's an amazing thought. And that kind of love loves in view of our failures and in view of our misunderstandings and in view of our times of arrogance. And that kind of love is expressed even, even to those who betray. He says, During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Judas is there. Judas is in the midst of those who belong to Christ. And what he's getting ready to do to show that kind of uh, humble love, he is going to do even to Judas as he is there. That kind of love is showing an act of kindness to this man, knowing that he is getting ready to betray him. Because he has all knowledge of all things. He knows that his time has come. He knows he's going back to the Father. He knows he's getting ready to depart this world. It's as if at this particular time that the man Christ Jesus has full knowledge of who he is and what he's doing. What he came to do. A full knowledge of his power and all of that. And in view of that, he doesn't say, I need to be delivered from this. Though he does pray to the Father later. But he, he of course, submits to the will of the Father but he is going to, in full view of everything, he's going to be kind even to a man like Judas. He could have told Judas, why don't you go ahead and leave before he ever done this? Because he eventually does tell Judas what you do, do quickly. Move along. But he waits to do that. He doesn't do that before he does this. Before he washes their feet. He shows this act of kindness even to Judas, the son of Simon. To his enemy. Not to his friend. To his enemy. He shows this kind of, of, of act of kindness. This is 
God in the flesh. This isn't just a good righteous man. This is the God who speaks creation into existence, who is there in human form, who has taken on the form of a servant, and who is showing this kind of kindness even to his enemy. He's going to gird himself. He's going to wash Judas's nasty feet. He's going to show that kind of a uh, of, of kindness to him, of a goodness to him. And that is going to be a great example to the disciples as perhaps they look back on this time as well. In view, the Lord knew that Judas was getting ready to do this and still he did it. That's going to be a great lesson for them and how they ought to respond to their enemies and how they ought to act towards their enemies. And it's a great example for us as well on how we ought to act towards our enemies and how we ought to be kind even when they are unkind. How we ought to seek to be kind even to those who are unreasonable. Because that's, that's the kind of, that's the, the example that, that is being set before us. Yeah, I went to, I visited at a church one time. <clears throat> and this particular guy who was giving the, the talk, he had said, um, he said, don't ever enter into a relationship that you're not going to get something out of. And it kind of you know, piqued my interest. I looked over at Amanda and I'm like, what's he meaning by that? And so you kind of sit and you, you listen a little bit more. And he says, and I know some of you will say, well, that, you know, about the agape love. He said, well, well, that's Jesus. As if somehow we're exempt from that. We're not exempt from that. The kind of love that Christ is portraying is the same kind of love that we need to follow. And that we need to put into practice. To be kind to those who are unkind. To try to be reasonably kind with those that are unreasonable. Not to stoop to the level in which we bring dishonor to Christ by the things that we say and the, the, the actions that we take. Because there is great self-control on the part of our Lord Jesus. Keeping himself in check. Because you have to remember this. He is truly a man. He's not a robot. He's not just having a body and then the divine fills the body here. He is truly God and truly man. And yet he's keeping himself in check. And he's still being kind. How we ought to follow the same and be kind. We like to lash out. We like to use our tongues in order to hurt others. You know, my brother used to say all the time, uh, he, he'd come up next to me, somebody making mad or something. He used to come up to me all the time, I'm about to lash out irrationally. But the thing is, is that if you have the Spirit of God in you, then you can keep yourself in check. Because the Spirit of God enables you to do that. And you don't have to allow the words to fly out of your mouth of which you would like to say. Because part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And it's gentleness. And it's love. We are to absolutely seek to emulate that, that kindness that Christ is showing us here. Even to our enemies. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, love your enemies, do good unto them. If, if they, Jesus said that, of course. The Apostle Paul brings it up again in Romans. They want, if they need something to drink, give them something to drink. 
You show kindness to them. If it gets too much, then the very thing that we ought to do, just leave, walk away. Because what's at stake is the honor of Christ. Instead of bringing reproach upon Christ, we want to bring honor to Christ. So we have to be very, very cautious, very careful what we say and what we do. He loves in view of our failures. He loves in view of our misunderstandings. He loves in view of our pride. He loves and shows kindness even to his enemies. And that kind of love that he has is a, is a humble love. And this is an amazing thing to, to think of here in verse 3. He says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, in full view of all of this. And one of the things that Jesus will say when he ascends into heaven is, all authority is given, into me, given unto me in heaven and on earth. He has it all. And in view of that, in view of his exaltation, he gets up from supper, he lays aside his outer garments, he takes a towel, he girds himself. Some would say that the towel was girded around his waist, others say it came up to the shoulders. Either way, he girds himself as a servant, as a slave. He adorns the dress of a slave. Then he pours water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. In full view of all the authority that he has. Of the exaltation that he is going to receive from the Father having completed his work. He gets up as they're arguing over who's the greatest. And the greatest gets up. And he girds himself. And he begins to wash their feet. In that time you would have... Perhaps one bowl that was empty and you would take another bowl and you would pour it over and just let it run down into the other. Of course, you know, obviously they had sandals in those days and walking here and there, feet would get dirty. And again, this is a very menial task that was given, again, some would say not even to Jewish slaves, but given to Gentile slaves. And the king of glory. The one in who Isaiah saw that was the high and lifted up one. Who has the seraphim flying around crying out, holy, holy, holy. But they can't even look upon him because of, of his glory that radiates from his very being. This one washes their feet. This one shows this great act of humility that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He goes to each one, washing their feet. He goes to Judas and he washes his feet. We look at stuff like that and we're like, never do that. But that's the kind of humility that we ought to have before Christ. You remember what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said, one who's coming after me is greater than I. And I'm not even unworthy to kneel down in front of him and to loosen the thong of his sandal to even wash his feet. I'm not even worthy to do that. They're not even, they're, they're not, they're not thinking of, of the fact that the greatest among them has his feet dirty and that they as his disciples, as they 
uh, are his the learners. They are those who are regular human beings ought to wash the feet of the one who is the God man. They don't even think of that. But Christ does. A love that walks in humility. A love that washes someone else's feet. He loved them to the utmost and that everything that he was doing was to give them the lesson that that they needed before he departed. Everything was to to teach them of how they ought to be to one another. And that's what he's going to tell them. As I have done unto you, you ought to do also to each other. In, in, In service to each other, serving one another. Instead of preferring my needs or my wants above you, I'm to prefer yours above mine. That's the kind of thing that he's showing us where the Apostle Paul takes that very thing too in Philippians. Prefer one another above yourselves. Don't look out for just your own interest, but the interest of others. It's, it's all, the, all the, the life that we are to live is in service to someone else, not saying, give me, give me, give me. Do for me, do for me. It's what can I do for you? And if Christ Jesus, again, who is the Lord of glory, the Holy One of Israel, can gird himself and wash the disciples' feet, his own creation, the ones whom he created, he can kneel down and wash their feet, then how, how, how much more should we be serving one another? Instead of saying, I will serve you to a certain extent, but then I ain't going no further. There's limitations on what I will do for you. There was no limitations here. Not for Christ. There's no limit to this kind of love. There's no limit to this kind of service that he rendered to them. This is, this is, these are the things that, that are on his heart and that are on his mind. This is the kind of love that he's expressing to them that, that they are to cultivate amongst themselves too after he departs. These are the things that the Holy Spirit of God is going to empower them to do for one another and to do to others. Is to love with this kind of love. Dear friends, we're not here for our own benefit. We're here to glorify our Lord first and foremost. That's the most important thing in this life. And the way that we are able to express that kind of, of devotion and adoration and appreciation to Him is by serving others. And it's serving others in the truth. It's not just to receive, it's to give. Give unto others. That kind of a selfless, sacrificial love that we're learning of right here is the same kind of love that we ought to be loving others. I don't really have time for you. Well, you should have time. If it's somebody in need, then, then give them some of your time. If it's, a, if it's a time in which you can encourage their hearts, in which you can comfort them, then give some of your time. I don't have time to go over that with you today. Well, make some time. Because if people are desiring to learn and to grow in their knowledge, these, this is one avenue that you can use in order to, to help them to grow in Christ too. By teaching them and by guiding them, being a shoulder for them. Being an encouragement to them. There are so many different ways that we can express this kind of love to one another. It's just about being willing to do it. 
our Lord had no limitation. He loved them with this kind of love till his last breath, and he loved them with this kind of love till their last breath. And he loves them with this kind of love even now as they are in his presence in heaven. And he loves you with this kind of love. The kind of love that he had for his disciples to his last breath is, is that love that he has for you too. Because he was going to the cross not just for them, but for you. And he loves you with this kind of love even to the time in which he brings you home. And then you get to see an even fuller understanding of that kind of love when you enter into his presence. To see what it is that he has, has for you. This kind of love doesn't end. This kind of love has no limitations. And he shows us that love. And he showed us that love not only by leaving us examples like this. He shows us that kind of love by going to the cross. Actually, he shows us, backing up a little bit, he shows us this kind of love by his life. By fulfilling the law of God perfectly throughout those 30 years before he ever began his ministry as the Messiah. He actively fulfills the law of God perfectly, that he's declared righteous, and that, that righteousness and that perfection is imputed to you through faith. And that's the kind of, that, that imputed righteousness is, is what brings justification. He loved you to that kind of extent to live for you. He loves you with that, that divine loving kindness that has said love that he was willing to go to the cross. And endure what he did at the hands of mankind. The nails and the crown of thorns and, and the beating that he took and being crucified. He was willing to endure that. But even more, he was willing to endure the wrath of his father. The full measure of God's wrath poured out upon Christ, again, the very thing that we could not see, that they couldn't see, but that Christ was enduring. And he did that for those that are his own. You know, one theologian said that God gives some to all, all people. But God gives all to some people, those that are his own. He satisfies the justice of his father. He shows us his love by everything that he said, all the actions that he performed. He shows us his love by sending the Holy Spirit of God to dwell with us and to be our companion, to be our advocate, to be our helper, to guide us into all truth, to conform us to the image of Christ, to sanctify us. That the Holy Spirit of God is Christ's presence on earth, that we are never alone and we are never forsaken. In the moments in which you think you are, you're, you're loneliest, you're never alone. Because the Spirit of God is there with you to lift you up and to remind you of the inexpressible love that He has for you. So, dear friends, let us, let us take this example here, and especially as we move on into this chapter and we, we see this even more. But let us indeed love like God loves in this kind of a sense. Not that we excuse sin because that's not love. That's not love that is grounded in truth. But we love others in view of sin, in view of their failures, in view of their arrogance, in view of their misunderstandings. Even when they're unreasonable, even when they're unkind. Because we have been all of those things. And Christ still loves us. 
and we cannot withhold that from someone else. I pray that in the coming weeks as we work our way into John 13 even more so that, that we will grow in that kind of love, especially for each other, for the household of God. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for all that it teaches us. Thank you for this great example of Christ's love, this selfless love. Father, we all have our failures where we, we don't love each other as we should. We all have our times of being selfish, self-centered. Father, help us. We pray that the Spirit of God would conform us even more to be what you desire. Father, make us willing. Increase the fear of God in us that would increase our devotion to you and our adoration of you. Increase our desire to delight in the things of God by how we speak and how we walk before you. Thank you so much for your great love and how that love is expressed to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us where we have failed you and thank you that you are a God that is forgiving and gracious and that you have given us an advocate, Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. Father, use us as instruments in your hand to accomplish all you desire. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said, Amen.